Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. All right, welcome to another special episode of A Few Good Physios. We have Eric Munoz and Lee Scantlees joining you from the comfort of our house and recording this uh, podcast today. Nice I wish to see it you, was man. a house. Well, nice to see you as well. I wish it was a house. Uh, it is, it is a New York apartment. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> a New York apartment, but um, I'm lucky to be able to shelter in place here uh, in a New York apartment. But it's good to be back. Lee, Lee and I have uh, invested in studio technologies to bring clear, concise voices to you guys. That's right. So uh, the Yeti is, is uh, in effect. That's right. Yeah. So we ha- now have uh, the ability to actually have some microphone quality audio through our Zoom account, which is, which is really cool. Yes. Um, and, and, and do yeah. excuse any of the background noise because there might be a little three-year-old that jumps into the recording. Yep. It might be door slamming. So excuse all the noise. Yeah, same here. Any sirens you may hear is uh, we're going to try to cut that out as much as possible and, and seven-month-old babies. <laughs> that's, that's louder than the three-year-old. Uh, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. And, uh, but uh, yeah. it's, it's interesting what these headset this headset uh, does because I could uh, I could hear my breathing and I could back away, <laughs> tapping of stuff, everything. But it's um, it's been a long time, Lee man, since we recorded it in the studio. Yeah, I mean April two thousand nineteen was our last official recording that we did in um, Gotham Podcast Studios with Steve Horney. Was this part two of his um, uh, of his podcast and. A lot has changed, uh, both you know, in the world and with the, with each of us. So, thought we could yeah. start with that first. Yeah. So a year ago, uh, Steve Horney. I mean, just a complete different world. I mean, since then, I guess Lee has much more, uh, much more of an addition to to talk about yeah. uh, in the last year. But I'll let him set it off with uh, Lee. What's been going on in your? Yeah. What- your edition looking like <laughs> oh man so i was um i'm very lucky I, uh in september we had a little baby girl born and um she's now seven months and she's living through the corona lockdown um but uh yeah also we are doing uh, therapeutic exercise at turo so heading up that class having the help of um eric and one of our awesome friends and colleagues Steve, your book, oh, I can never pronounce his last name, so terrible. You're, <laughs> I'm going to say Stevie V. Yes. <laughs> and it's very embarrassing because I'm half Greek, so I should be able to pronounce that. <laughs> I won't even try to attempt to say it. Verukalo. Uh, <laughs> he's going to kill me. But anyways, we have an uh, awesome you know, group of people, and we had a really good class last year in 2019 at Turo. It's really That's fun. Cool. We, we taught kettlebells, um, you know, strength training. We really addressed a lot of things that I think 
uh, were very pertinent to physical therapy and therapeutic exercise. And I think a lot of students, um, it was a surprise in a good way. And I got a lot of great feedback. I don't know if I, did I send you most of that stuff? Did you, you guys get your- Oh yeah, it was great. A, a lot of feedback from the students. I mean, that was a, that was a great experience um, for me in the summer. I, I think uh, just to backtrack a little with this, mm -hmm. uh, right before this experience of uh, teaching, uh, I had an an emergency appendectomy. Oh my God, that's right. So Lee, Lee had an addition. I had a subtraction. You know, I lost my, <laughs> I lost a little piece of my um, my appendix. Um, spent four four days in a hospital. Lost about fifteen pounds, uh, but came back from came back from a bad situation. Eye opening experience, uh, and that was kind of in conjunction with. Uh, the therapeutic exercise class. Actually, the day it was uh, after the first class. It was after the first class, right in July. Uh, July fourth, fourth, you know, July fourth. Hmm. Uh, about seven thirty, I went to the hospital, and by, I guess, twelve thirty, one o'clock, I was on the in the OR. Crazy experience, but I'm very fortunate to have it, you know, turn out fine uh, after a few days of suffering. But it gave me a whole different perspective um, on many of the conversations that Lee and I have about healthcare and being on that side of the fence in such a vulnerable position uh, put into uh, light how, how pertinent it is. Wow, I hear those P's, man. <laughs> uh, how pertinent it is that um, you treat a person as a person as opposed to a patient. And uh, I was over at NYU, and I was very lucky uh, to have the staff that I had around, everything from the ER docs to the nursing staff to, you know, the doctors that took care of me. I mean, I, I can't recall how many people I had to interface with on a daily basis, but just highlighting the fact that all the topics that we speak about, which is, you know, patient communication, um, addressing people with humility, mm -hmm. um, and all things I was very lucky enough to have that uh, experience but um, it, again it was in conjunction with teaching students at Toro and, and that that experience was so it was reaffirming you know be able to have such an audience um, that was so receptive to a lot of the, the ideas that Lee was presenting and it was really cool man yeah and how long were you in the hospital for the three days uh, I was in the hospital for four days wow. and um, I took Three nights, four days, and then I um I took that week, I think I took a week off of work, mm -hmm. and I went back after two weeks, which was a bit, it was a bit aggressive. Um, mm -hmm. I took six weeks off. That was one of the toughest parts of this. Was I took six weeks off of jujitsu, yeah. although now that's uh, <laughs> that's being challenged by COVID. COVID's yeah. keeping the world away from jujitsu, well, at least most of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a long time and, and I, it was a long time. Definitely. I remember you were texting me. Uh, you, I remember you came in that day and you're like, your stomach was bothering. You thought you ate something over the weekend. And then you texted me later that day. You're like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't go to jujitsu. And I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> no, no, uh, uh, no idea that you were, you were actually no, going through uh, full blown appendicitis uh, yeah not, was it blown by the time it wasn't blown by the time it probably wasn't blown by the time that you saw me okay um when you were conducting the lecture when you were, you know 
speaking, I remember just saying to myself, wow, I feel queasy. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I feel some stomach pain. And it, this was prior to class, you know, just to give you guys some perspective, um, Henzo Gracie's is about a block and a half from Toro, which worked out really well this summer, mm -hmm. but well, not would have worked out very well, but I, it was the first time I actually walked past Henzo's fully ready. And, uh, I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to pass on this. And I, I went home and I took a half hour nap, which I never, I don't take naps. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, you know, for those who are listening, you know, right side, if you have quad, you know, abdominal pain, probably shouldn't wait three days no. to get it checked out. You know, so I did wait three days to check out my abdominal pain and fever and nausea, all, all the signs of, ap of, 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 uh, appendicitis. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, back to the teaching experience, uh, eye opening, clarifying, uh, something that I, I missed from not recording the podcast was this ability to reflect upon what I'm actually doing in practice um, and, and clarifying, having to clarify my thoughts prior to giving a student an explanation about, you know, a technique, a, a concept. So it was really, thank you for the experience, for the opportunity, Lee, man. That was a yeah. great, um, great opportunity. And I hope, um, I'm not sure where, Toro is these days uh, over the summer. Did they they cancel the class or how's that? What's the status yeah, good, on Toro? Good question. So um, they are similar to most of the universities in New York. They're going to do all online for the foreseeable future, but they're talking the earliest possible to get back in the class in person would be the fall, if not the winter, because they're on trimesters. Um, but right now the plan is. I've been instructed to create virtual labs and I have mm -hmm. to get on a call with the assistant director to find out what the details of that is. But I've already started to, to record some things um, just like through, through this and trying to take a lecture and make it applicable to, for them to practice using a video, but that's going to be challenging when they don't have hands on cues and, and they can't practice in front of us, for instance, um, it is possible since it's a large class, we can do breakout rooms and, and I have to talk to them about if we can use the uh, TAs again. I, th I think that would be helpful. If we have 30, like we had last year, we had 33, 34 kids and there's a lot, you know, I mean, it, between one to three people directing 33 kids, that's, that's a lot for therapeutic exercise. And it was funny because when I got the position, they said, you know, therapeutic exercise in the third semester, if you remember, it's like, honestly, on the least priority for the schedule, because there's so many other harder things. You got the PT yeah. exam class, which is very dense. You have the neuro, neuro class. Clinical neuro. <laughs> clinical neuro. Um, and I can't remember exactly what else, but you have a lot of stuff. You have your first research, research level one, which you have to pay attention quite a bit. But, you know, they also said it's the most difficult class to teach because you have to cram almost every foreseeable exercise that they're ever going to experience in that class and prepare them to go out into the clinical. So you have into their first clinical. So you have to really give them a good taste of everything. So I, when we went through the material, I was trying to pick the most pertinent things that we've learned in our, our clinical experience over the last 10 years, and then use their textbook, use research and combine all three of those things and 
to be honest with you, it was very challenging. It took me a while for to get all that stuff together. And because of that, I've, I've missed a lot of jujitsu. <laughs> oh man. But, I, I was going to say, I think the, just the, the only negative, I mean, I, I'm speaking, uh, selfishly but the biggest no the negative was lee man had to um had to pause on jujitsu to get these lecture plans together which he put a ton of time into and it showed it showed during our lectures uh, your lectures not our lectures <laughs> it showed because you know when we went to therapeutic ex i mean we were biased obviously in our our class but therapeutic exercise was was pretty basic you know to be fair it was you know i guess um pretty standard stuff you would learn in a PT school 15 years ago, 12, whatever, whatever time it was, was it 12 years ago? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's uh, 13 years ago, man. It's crazy. Years 12 ago. years ago. Yeah. That's nuts. So, I mean, to be honest, to be fair, they, they taught us some standard stuff, but uh, Lee brought in current stuff, much, much more current stuff. And, you know, there was a spin on it. The spin was from a trainer, martial artist, kettlebell movement i mean it was just they got they got a they got a, a good bargain for uh for the information they received during that class um and and they were really into it i i, I feel uh correct me if i'm wrong and, and no um no offense to my graduating class but you know we had like um uh, i would say an assortment of interests in our class in our graduating class it was yeah. you know people in this particular class, it seemed like uh, there was a lot more cohesion in the group. Yes. As well as, uh, I mean, the whole class seemed to be pretty interested. Of course, you have a couple of drifters, but that, that's to be said with anything. I, I just, they were really engaged and they had really um, thoughtful questions. And you could see that they were really thinking about what, what they were learning in, in the class. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I feel it was extremely engaged. They were extremely engaging. Questions that they would ask during class, you know, but I'm not surprised. They they would definitely make me think and make me have to be like, I don't know, and I will review that and get back to you. And what was the? Oh man, there was one. There was one thing with the knee. I don't know what. Well, it was one little fact, and I think you had said... Oh, my God. The well, knee well, replacements. Well, I, I had to go back, oh. and I had to add two or three slides. I, I'm going to admit that. If the students ever listen to this... That was great. I'm going to admit well, that. I forgot. It was like a hemi or a full... Uh, what, yes. what was the deal? The ligaments are spared? Spared, yes. So in, the, in their textbook, they, they categorized all the, um, the hardware, right? So you had you know complete total knee replacement, and then you had ligament sparing replacements. So then I definitely made a mistake. I put one that was an, an absolute, you know, I, I, we, we, we watched a quick video on a knee replacement and it was a full replacement. And I was trying to explain like this was, you can have the, um, the PCL spared. I think it was just the PCL. And I think I said maybe the LCL too. Um, and then someone's like, uh, don't you get rid of all, everything when you get it? And I was like, yeah, sure. And it, it was, it was a, yeah, I went back. I had to. I went back to that recently, and I had a couple of other sides. But yeah, I, I so. questioned. I questioned, and I said, "Well, no, he did his research. I'm sure. I'm sure they they're doing different things. You know, I, I they're doing different things. I guess I I trust Lisa as most of the students must have. But it was it was, it was very cool, man. Yeah, no, thank you. I, we, definitely good feedback, and it was time well spent. Like I was happy, very very happy with how much 
you know, the things that worked out and I was really happy about the opportunity and I'm extra happy that I'm be able to do this again this year, you know, fingers crossed. Um, cause I, I know a, a couple of other teachers who don't teach in PT, but you know, there's been some cuts in major universities because, you know, there's going to be some differences in how people apply for schools now, but if, if it's more of like a graduate school situation, that that's probably going to be good for us. Um, so there's certain yeah. criteria. I mean, there's certain criteria. They have to take certain classes to, to yeah. Um, yeah. They, they can't cut so much. It can cut, I guess. Yeah, exactly. No, so that, that was great. You know, being able to go through that, we had like at least 13 lectures, midterm final. Um, and then when we cleaned it up in, um, God, it was November. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. October. That's, it was coincidentally right around, uh, when my daughter was born, which was great. I, I was still able to administer the final and it all worked out. And then, uh, now we are in 2020 in April and we had no idea in February that we'd be stuck at home starting March 13th, which happened to be a Friday the 13th. And we're still Friday at home. 13th, Friday the 13th. Today, yeah. uh, I think it's day 49. 49. Today, 49. From that, from that 13th, I guess. Jeez. Bottom line is, it's a long time, listeners. Um, obviously, whoever's listening to this is dealing with their own quarantine, wherever you are in the world or in the country. Mm-hmm. But it's been, it's been some challenging times, to say the least. Um, Definitely. I, I want to put out a disclaimer in terms of challenging. Challenging, I guess for me personally, is more inconvenience and not knowing the uncertainty of, you know, getting back into a clinic, just getting back into life in general. Uh, Mm -hmm. Each day that goes by, we get a little further away from what things used to be like and a little closer to, I'm not sure where we're going closer to. Um, Yeah. It's, it's interesting. We both know people who right now um, certainly will not open back up when this is quote said and done as physical therapists, business owners, and it's, it's this obviously not just physical therapy, it's hitting every industry worldwide, especially uh, service industries, restaurants. It's really sad. And like you just said, the unknown is probably the scariest. Um, And we don't know what level of assistance we're going to get going forward. What is the rest of the year going to look like? What does it look like when things settle down in terms of infections and death rates? And we're able to get back to like a minimal social contact and not social distancing that much um if we will ever do that there's some experts saying that we'll never do that which is pretty crazy even with a vaccine yeah but i mean yeah it's you know i kind of go from i go to two extreme on a daily basis i go from extremes of you know is this kind of um i would say you know is all of this necessary you know, and then the flip of it, oh my God, obviously it's very necessary. Uh, people are dying. Uh, going back and forth, vacillating back and forth. And what does that mean for me personally? What does that mean for the, my family? What does that mean for the world at large? Mm-hmm. But it's really, it's pretty tough to kind of even imagine um, getting back. Although eventually we will. Uh, as much as, you know, you hear these experts going back and forth, Mike. My gut, which doesn't mean much these days, but uh, my gut uh, is that there's a, there's a high level of um, sensationalism that that needs to be put into the system, 
right to to vacillate but when we cut when we cut away the sensationalism and really focus on the the, the nitty-gritty people are dying people are losing money and really focusing on those con those constructs I don't know what I'm saying, man. I'm babbling. I'm <laughs> no, babbling. I, I, I mean, in a nutshell, that that's how the brain. That's that's the brain, though. The brain has been babbling in in yes. terms of trying to make trying to make sense of something that we have really no frame of reference for. Um, I, I I honestly think my wife sent me an article uh, this morning, and what's really important right now are mental health practitioners, and they're doing an incredible job. They're doing so much free work. I know that, um, and they're they're trying to mitigate the terrible situations that frontline workers are in and even families that are losing everything. And maybe they're going through losing their family members to death from COVID, things like that. That's really sad. But overall they're explaining like this article was like, this is a trauma. This is strictly a trauma for everybody. We're not going to fully understand or realize the pragmatics of it right now. We will maybe down the road, in a year or two or who knows how long everyone's a little different. And so I feel like that, that confusion and trying to express what's happening is very common. And also it's, it's very, it's hard to, to, you know, walk around your brain and figure out how you feel. Cause I, I feel the same thing. I feel like, you know, this is necessary. I have friends and family who are on the front lines. I talk to them and I hear how terrible it is. This is nothing like what we've experienced before with other th- sicknesses. But on the other hand, it's like, all right, well, things are getting really ruined in our economy. What are the strategies for getting back? We have to start planning that. And I, I definitely go back and forth as well. And so, and it, it's, it's hard. I do want to, I want to move all the sensationalism away as much as possible. Exactly. It's, but it's hard, I feel like in the United States, because so many media outlets rely on that. And so you, you have to, you have to read everything over and over again, and then read different um you know, different sides and then really sit down and make a decision. And then you have to also compound what's going on with our emotions. Like for instance, us, right? We're home. Our businesses, businesses have been compromised. Our ability to do our work has been compromised, but we're making do. And we subconsciously want to want this to stop. So we might rationalize getting back as much as possible. That doesn't mean it's wrong. doesn't mean it's right. It, It just is what it is. We have to realize that's what's happening. I I've honestly gone through that and I'm just like, you know, I wish things, you know, we were talking about rent from home and we were like, well, well, damn, like this is month one, month two, how long is this going to last? We really have to figure that out. So these are things to sit down and strategize. And I'm lucky I have my wife, I have my family and my friends. And that's, that's another big thing. Just any sort of social support is super important right now. Critical. I mean, with, Going back to mental health, um, you know, just talking to a couple of people that I'm, um, we'll get into um, this in depth later down the road, but, you know, I was talking to one of my clients, I was performing, going for a telehealth session, and it's an older gentleman that I run through, it's really like a personal training session, a training session, Mm -hmm. and um, he's usually a happy-go-lucky guy, and he's 83, and I asked him, you know, how are you, and he's like, you know, Eric, I think it's getting to me now. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I can't call it. I can't put my finger on it. Mm. But, um, you know, I, I go out for a walk every day with my wife and, but I just feel the effects of being home and not being, you know, this guy's 82, this gentleman is 82. Oh my God. And he goes to work, um, prior to COVID 
he works five days a week, four days a week as an attorney, goes into wow. his office, um, has a you know full schedule. I mean, he has a busier social calendar than myself. His wife, they used to you know, go to shows and dinners and they have many different groups of friends. So for them to be um, not as social as they are, and most importantly, from a movement perspective, this gentleman is not going to Grand Cent. He's not walking to his train anymore. Mm-hmm. So just hearing his voice, you know, I told, you know, we, we had a little five minute discussion, but I could tell that this gentleman is a bit down as we all are. Mm-hmm. And um, thankfully, after the session, he was like, thank you. You know, this this workout really kind of changed, changed my mood and changed my energy level. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to hold on to that one for my mental, physical, and emotional health um, with uh, working out myself almost on a daily basis, but kind of conveying that to my patients and clients that, you know, we may not be able to control much, but you could control how you move, even in these confined times. I mean, we're here in New York City, we really have a limit, limited amount of space that we could um, actually exercise in. Yeah. But um, it's... Again, going back to mental health, I mean, it's probably one of the key things we all need to be focusing on and to be there for our loved ones, you know, make that call to someone that, you know, you may not call as much. If you're thinking about someone, chances are they're thinking about you, give them a call. So, yeah, I mean, the silver lining in this crazy situation, and I'm trying to go half, half full here is that just you just realize how interconnected everybody and everything is. And, um, you know, I've said this, I think, in previous podcasts, but, you know, life changes quite drastically in a second. Uh, And in this case, it's been 49 days. It's a little more than a second. But each day, I mean, those first couple of weeks, Lee, you could attest to this every five minutes. Every 10 minutes, we would get like Eric a new- can definitely attest to this for me. <laughs> <laughs> I had one foot out the door. He knows that. Oh, uh, I was uh, ready uh, you want to share, you want to share that? Woo, you could, but that sure. was, I mean, I, I think a lot of people went through this, you know, um, we fortunately had some family across the country and we had a, a car rented everything and we were about to go. Um, we made the decision to stay for multiple reasons only because, or not only, but, um, mainly because of our daughter, we didn't want to, um, you know, reduce the likelihood of her being safe. Meaning if we were on the road for several days and we needed medical attention, that would be a little scary and, or States, we had no idea what a shutdown is. You know, the United States never really, I I mean, I'm only 40 something years old. So maybe before that there was something, but, um, never, never. So yeah, we didn't know if they were gonna like cut off borders of the, the states. We had no, we had no idea over the bridges. You know, my mind went right to movies. So like I saw like the bridges being blown up or something like from the government. Anyways, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I saw checkpoints when they, he, when you told me you were leaving. I'm not gonna make it past P- Pennsylvania. He's not gonna make it past Pennsylvania. They're gonna pull us out of the car. Like you guys got to go to the hospital and quarantine. You can't be the, here. These two are from New York City. Yeah, the epicenter <laughs> I mean. of this thing. I mean, anyways, yeah, it was, you know, Eric knew this very well because I was on the phone with him every day and uh, we, were, we were watching the news. We we're trying to decipher what the governor and the mayor was saying. And luckily they did a great job, in my opinion, especially in the initial stages. And they kept things calm. Yeah. And now <clears throat> they're just they're doing still a great job, especially Cuomo. He's 
really reeling it in and, and trying to figure out how we reopen and he's doing it in a scientific way, which I think we all can appreciate right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that those initial couple of weeks, every day, it was something new. Every day. And now it seems to be, um, you know, we get information every day, obviously. But um, I could say the last couple of weeks, the days that I don't, I haven't watched much television. I'm kind of checked out. I'm, you know, all of us are kind of drained by reading and looking at this stuff over and over again. But the last couple of weeks, you know, it kicks in. It's like, wow, this, you just kind of, I don't know. There's a level of depression that kicks in. It's like, wow, this is just never going to end. And there's not in a way you want to hear some new news. And unfortunately last couple of weeks, there hasn't been much new news. Um, There's a lot of talk, but in terms of our lives in, in an immediate sense, changing hasn't been much of that. Yeah. But um, it's um, to say it's challenging is, is, uh, is an un- understatement. And I don't want to, again, my personal situation, you know, I have a roof over my head. I have food. Most importantly, I have my family with me. I'm sure the people that have been quarantined or stuck in another country that they can't see their family. I mean, I can't, I, can't imagine what certain people are going through. And most importantly, if someone lost, like Lee just said, someone that lost, you know, a loved one. I mean, I personally um, knew of at least three people, mm-hmm. two, two that I, I well, uh, one of my mother's best friends, childhood friends passed. And um, mm-hmm. another person that was related to my, my brother's um, ex-wife mm-hmm. also passed. And then lastly, uh, a coworker colleague of Lee and I, we found out a couple of weeks ago past. So that, that, um, all this financial stuff we're talking about and changing of our routines means really, it's really meaningless when you really think about people that are losing their lives and, and the people that have to deal with those losses. Yeah. So, um, crazy times. I know this, this podcast was supposed to be about, um, a specific topic <laughs> interventions which we're going to get to but yeah. i think it would be crazy not to mention what oh, um what the yeah, backdrop we, is <laughs> we got to talk about it i i mean i totally agree I, I feel very fortunate i have my family here and my seven-month-old daughter is in this goldilocks stage i think as being a baby maybe you can attest to this but she's just so damn cute and she's just smiling all the time and laughing and every day is something new it's really eased my wife's and i's anxiety um, on a regular basis. And I think, I don't know what would happen if, if she wasn't, I'm sure we'd be dealing with it as well, but I think it's made it a lot easier. Oh, um, sure. and yeah, I, I agree. Like having a roof over our head, ability to, you know, have meals right now and our ability to do our work and to get some income just a little bit so we can, you know, get through a couple months is super important. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been a roller coaster ride, and I think it would be crazy if we didn't talk about it because uh, <laughs> there's I, I I think the lack of acknowledgement is is equally as bad as kind of denying it actually happened. It's 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 super I mean, important. And we're you know we're directly you know there are certain individuals that you know have been working from home and still have um, a salary. They still there's they still have everything kind of in place, so to speak. Uh, but uh, we, I could speak on my own behalf that, you know, my uh, clinic that I work at, I haven't been there since March 13th. And I'm making, I think, and this is a whole loaded topic here in New York, um, physical therapists are considered essential. So in theory, um, 
in theory, I could be in my office, but for many reasons, the key reasons is, you know, uncertainty and really uh, not killing my anybody that I know and killing someone I don't know. Anyway, haven't been in my clinic since March 13th. So it has directly affected um, finances. And I've been fortunate enough that I'm I'm, I'm doing all right, but I don't know how long that's going to (laughs) last. Right. Right now it's Friday at about 2.30. I should, I would normally be seeing patients at this hour, 100%. And as we speak, I'm losing double money, money that I'm not making, money that I'm spending, and then money that I'm liable for, for my overhead. I rent. Um, So the thought goes, hey, man, I got to try to cover some of this, right? I I need to see some patients and I'm just going to, I'm going to make the right decision. I'm going to go for those low risk patients. What if you go ahead and you get sick? What if now the trace, let's say they start tracing people. Hey, Eric, you had three people get COVID from your place. Now that's those three people spread it to another 10. Um, Now, now those people that quote trusted you, right? Those either old patients or maybe the new patients. Now you're associated with spreading a virus. Um, again, to make ends meet, but in in the short sight of this, uh, you know, you you got some cash in. On the long sight, you may be closing your doors because you know you, you killed a couple of people um, that you actually knew. So I mean, I'm giving obviously giving a, a worst case scenario, and um, I don't know what the likelihood of that is, and that's why we're not doing it. Because we don't know, there's just so much uncertainty. Uh, I Lee, did I tell you what I, Carolina and I did yesterday? No, we got um. You're like, what is he gonna say? <laughs> I'm so uh, but we got the antibody test, man. Oh, you yes. did? Yeah, I, I have man. to do that, man. Did you go to so, the CMD? Yeah, I went to um urgent something like some urgent care in my neighborhood, um, and it was easy. It was okay. about. I want to say I was in the office for maybe, maybe 15 minutes. Uh, thankfully there wasn't much of a line. There wasn't anybody in there actually. Um, basic, you know, demographic information. Thankfully um, I have health insurance through my wife's employer. Uh, didn't have to pay a copay. Nice. Some questions. They took my blood. So supposedly in one to three days, they'll give uh, the results of this antibody. Doctor came in. He had a Bellevue, Bellevue uh, lanyard on. Oh boy. Uh, exactly. And I, in seven, six weeks, I have been food shopping for my family. I have been going on some very careful runs. I've been going on walks, running some errands. Uh, yesterday, I was pretty scared to be in that office, right? So you're in an urgent care. There had to be people with COVID in that office, 100%. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm going into a doctor's office. This is equivalent of going to almost like an ER, right? Right. And I was really nervous just being there, man. Really just thinking of, you know, wow, I could be exposing myself. Anyhow, we did it really for mental. We know that the antibody test um, may or may not give us too much information. The doctor told us, listen, you know, this this test will tell you if you've been exposed to the virus and it, you will tell you if you, you might have some short-term immunity. Mm-hmm. We're not sure on how long that immunity would last, but, you know, chances are if you have the antibodies, you've been exposed and you have some kind of immunity. Mm-hmm. I, I want to just know. I just want to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think it's important. I mean, they're, um, 
they, they they've been showing that at least get the test that way you you know you've been exposed and you have some antibodies towards it and then there's some research to show that the rate of reinfection is changing they don't know exactly what that is but um it's still it's something that i i need to do myself my wife and i and i think that's important right now um, for society in general i think part of the reason i told was talking to my wife yesterday about it is i want to know for myself i also want to give a data point you know typically i'm the kind of guy that doesn't like to give up my data at all on <laughs> any on any level mm-hmm. uh you know but in this particular case you know my blood i mean if i have the plasma if they needed my blood let's say i do have the antibodies and they could use my blood to save somebody yeah or even just the information to make to make decisions or have some kind of statistical models based on our blood um yeah i'm just optimistic that um that there might be some kind of like immunity passport at some point um, oh, yeah. i've heard that discussed but it was um it was a surreal experience it was it was it was a weird experience but the doctor you know I, okay, what he's going to say he he looked pretty frazzled and um mm-hmm. i thanked him for his work <laughs> and uh kept it moving but um where where were we on interventions in telehealth <laughs> sorry for the tangent i just remembered no. that i didn't tell you about um these antibodies no that's good man yeah i got to go do that um, but yeah, I mean, what we really wanted to, we wanted to, you know, have a constructive talk today about this stuff because it's going to be time, hopefully soon to start to get back, get back into the clinic in some sort of capacity. But for now, what we've been doing, you know, you know, all of my clients and patients fortunately have been tele-sessions and it's been working great. Um, but I had a patient today, for instance, who was the first session patient had low back pain and had a lot of red not a lot of red flags had some red flags that i would like to do more of an in-depth screening for and um you know he was able to clear he had already seen a doctor so it wasn't um something that he needed to go now see a doctor for but you know what does it look like are we going to have um a split of of face-to-face and then follow-ups for telesessions are we gonna um you know go back a certain percentage in terms of face-to-face things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I would be wondering what you thought. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, currently I'm seeing a very small percentage of people, uh, telehealth, mostly for training, uh, a handful of, uh, therapy sessions, but it is, um, I do feel, see the limitations. Um, I want to kind of jump through the screen to kind of do an assessment. Uh, but, the benefit of having getting people during telehealth, as Lee mentioned before, is it, it, it gives, it does, it can help people. It can help the connection, the instruction, and the movement. More importantly, the movement. You know, people are kind of, whether they know it or not, craving to move. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, uh, main topic today, we wanted to discuss interventions and like what does it mean when it comes to physical therapy? There's a lot of discussion online about how we should. Um, we shouldn't be viewed as like, when you go see a PT, it's not, um, we're going to go get physical therapy, right? Because technically we are the physical therapist, meaning when you go see a doctor, you're not going to get doctored. Like, (laughs) meaning you're going to go see a doctor to get a diagnosis. You're going to get, you know, maybe steered into some sort of treatment, medication, uh, maybe get prescribed physical therapy, whatever. But when we, when they come see us, 
they're going to get, you know, definitely some education, maybe, or usually I'd say 90% of the time, maybe more than that exercises, stretches, um, and maybe a manual treatment if need be. Um, and some, I think some patients have difficulty grasping. That's all we're going to do is exercise education with the possibility of doing manual work because they either don't know what we do or they've been told uh, some sort of false idea of what we do. I don't know. It's an interesting topic. Yes, it is. And I mean, I think we, we have discussed this in the past in terms of people, people having an entry, their first entry point within physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, What is people don't know what physical therapy is. So maybe they heard a friend say, Hey, my friend, you know, I'm, Oh yeah, physical therapy. You know, I had some, I had somebody, you know, give me a massage, and then I had this machine on me, and they they ran me through a few exercises on machines, and after you know, a year and a half, my back felt better. And- <laughs> after six months, three days a week, <laughs> hour and a half sessions. Oh my god! But, uh, but I think it it like going back to what Lee said, people are very are clueless as to what is physical therapy. And I know we had that was a that was actually um a one podcast of our titles. Yeah. A podcast was what is physical therapy? And, and you know, physical therapy, to be fair, is uh means different things for different people, different populations. Obviously, physical therapy physical therapy is a very large uh term. More specifically, you know, what is outpatient physical therapy consists of and I think going I'll let Lee take it from here in terms of what is taught in I guess taught in school right as an intervention um, and what's considered an intervention and I think that'll vary depending on the therapist you go to obviously <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because in school they're really trying to they are trying to shift the curriculum I think there's a lot of you know, again, I'm only using my experience on social media because it's so saturated with physical therapists, trainers, and there's so many discussion boards, things like that. And there's a lot of complaints from practicing physical therapists that don't believe there's certain elements in PT school that need to be, such as strength and conditioning, um, less focus on passive modalities, such as ultrasound and electrical stimulation. But to be honest with you, academic um, institutions are trying to, I'm sorry, and the lack of pain science. So academic institutions are trying to implement those things. But what we have to keep in mind, and this has been discussed to death online, is um, they'll they'll be docked, academic institutions, they'll be docked their accreditation if they don't include certain elements of what would be on the boards. And so on the boards, we have to know, we have to be able to operate an ultrasound machine. We have to be able to operate an electrical stimulation machine. So if you work backwards to be able to operate one of those things on a clinical basis, you also have to know how to treat someone with that. And so to work backwards even further, you have to know how to do a full treatment on various conditions. So you have to learn all those things and they have to be in the curriculum. So I understand that from an academic setting but it should be presented to the students, which I know it is at least the school that I go to as um, kind of a, a, as needed basis. So electrical stimulation, for instance, is a great example. You can use electrical stimulation in an evidence-based way right after ACL surgery. They, they've been, they've proven that all the research out of the University of Delaware from Lynn Snyder Mackler, she's demonstrated that over and over again for good results versus not using it. 
So in that case, for instance, I use it for ACL right out of the bat, right out of the, um, right after Russian, surgery. By any chance, uh, quick question. Yeah. Would it, would that be like a VMO Russian setting situation where you yeah, so or I would I, I don't want to say it uh, uh, Sorry <laughs> about gonna... that. Oh, I was like, well, yeah, I just want to. I just want to get those fibers. Ah! <laughs> 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 Lee almost, Lee almost gave me, strangled me, dude. I felt it. He was like, whoa, 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 what? Oh, shit. No, no, it's true. VMO. I, I don't even. What yeah. is a VMO? No, I don't. This doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> people, people have killed it, man. It's, they oh, stabbed it to man. death. Um, but yeah, no, they right out of the right out of the um, surgery. You can set someone up. Uh, if you remember from the OCS material in yes, that seated position, chair. yes, yes, and you put those big pads on so they get that good contraction, and you crank it up whatever their tolerance is. Of course, there's a very specific, um, you know, uh, setting, and I cannot remember it right now in yes. terms of numbers, but is the Russian setting, and then you have that, um, you know, on and off. You you don't want to fatigue out the muscle too fast, so you could do like five second contractions with a twelve second rest. Um, or even more than that 20 second rest. So you start with something like that and you make the rest time smaller and then the contraction time bigger over the course of the next several sessions. Um, but you would, you would, and they say this in the literature in the University of Delaware, you wouldn't be doing this for six weeks. You're doing this for two weeks, maybe three weeks until you get that quad contraction that you want. And that's where the clinician comes in. How do you judge a quad contraction? Well, you might have to put your hands on the on the quad, you might have to feel when they contract it is the same velocity as the the other side. Are they um, are they walking differently? Is their gait different? Is their quad actually supporting their knee when they walk? So those kind of things are important. You can really get a good set of eyes on it in person um, to see. So in situations like that, right now, for instance, with COVID, obviously you can't do the e-stem unless they, if you can guide someone, if they have a home unit, that, that's a possibility. You know, that's one of our jobs is to be able to educate people in this kind of verbal situation, which is so funny. I was looking back on the material from last year's class and I did a, a lecture on HEP and progressions and I did two or three slides on telesessions because I was using it as an example where they have to strengthen their verbal cues. So wow. my big thing, and I'm sure you remember from when I talk about this a lot is like, when we teach patients movements, it's not this, are they a, a visual learner? Are they a kinesthetic learner? Are they a, a auditory learner? They use all of those things uh, consecutively or in concurrently, right? Um, so it's almost, you know, there's been re some research done. There's like, it, it's basically a myth that you can categorize people as solely this. It's like the same thing of saying every exercise, or sorry, you could separate exercises on it's just cardio, it's just strength. It, everything's a mix. It's just you shift the percentage of how it's happening, right? So some people, let's say if they have a hearing impairment, they're not going to shift towards the hearing. They're most likely going to shift to the kinesthetic or the visual. So you'd have to cater to that. Or if they're really good at listening and they're not in the, like a high pain state, they're probably going to be really good auditory learners. So you use a lot of verbal cues. So this is what I was trying to say to my patients is learn your auditory cues as much as possible, because if you have to instruct a patient to do something brand new, they have to understand the simplest ways. And so to do that, you have to say, instead of saying, you know, have your feet 12 inches apart and your toes at this angle and your knee at this angle, you're just going to have your feet, you know, a little wider than hips and squat down as deep as you can. Um, so I thought it was a good exercise and I had them at one point, one class, I think I had them 
they could only use visual cues. They can only use audit. I think you, that was the first class. They could only oh, use cool. certain, certain cues, but anyway, so to answer your question is, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a place for these modalities, but the majority of it is going to be us educating and giving them exercise and guiding th them through their condition in terms of exercise, uh, activity exposure and things like that. Yeah, I, you know, to be fair, you know, I do a, a good amount of manual therapy within my own practice. And uh, it, it's, I'm going to make a comment here. Hopefully I get as busy as I was prior to COVID, but I do recall times where I was manually working, you know, working somehow. And I said to myself, wow, how long, you know, you're tired. Let's just think of it as a long day, right? We're yeah. tired of using our hands. And with this uh, recent current events, I could say that I'm, I'm missing using my hands. Um, but at the same token, I'm pretty amazed at what I'm able to do without my hands. Um, with, as Lee said, verbal and visual cues, as well as just, um, again, again, going back to what we were saying, helping people in these times where, you know, our, our, our tools that we're used to are kind of, um, are not being, obviously we can't use our hands, but, uh, mm -hmm. other, we're improving our other skills. So this is a time, you know, Lee has, Lee jumped on it quite, I mean, immediately actually. And when I heard him talking about it, I said, well, I'm not really into, I'm not really into the telehealth thing. And within a week I said, wait a minute, <laughs> this is going to be, um, the way it may be the new way, but that goes back into another question Lee had posed and you know, how much of this going forward, what's going to be the split? What is the split going to look like? I mean, it's a literally a billion dollar question, a uh, trillion dollar question, mm -hmm. but I mean, personally, I think that I'll be able to, I would, I'm definitely going to be integrating it into my own practice uh, for various reasons. One, we have a lot of clients and patients to travel. I'm not sure how much they're going to be traveling, but mm. if a patient has a situation where they can't get to the office, it's going to be an option that I normally would never have thought of. So that's the, uh, the silver lining here. But uh, going back to, you know, intervention, what is an intervention and what's the, you know, generous general consensus. I think that really varies depending on uh, where you're at. Yeah. I'd say, you know, the mix I feel should be a combo of face-to-face -face treatments and then um, if the patient is comfortable with it, doing telesessions as well. To be honest with you, and th I think there's some research on this, it, um, the individual who uses telesessions for their home exercise program seem to do, they seem to be more independent in it and they seem to do it more often. So they're, they're more consistent. And that makes sense to me because some of the feedback I'm getting is that they have more onus on having to do it and they're not relying on me. They're not coming in to see me and they're not relying on that in that environment, right? So that's a whole different environment. When they go into the clinic and they get guided through exercises, it's a, not a passive thing to do, but it's more like, you know, you, you go there and you get told what to do and then you start to do it. Now, even if you become independent in that environment in the clinic and you know your exercises, exercises really well, you still leave the clinic and you go about your life you might not do that at the office. You might not do that at your own gym. You might not do that at home. Now you're forced to do it. So now your home is becoming a little different in your subconscious. It's in your brain. It's now you're growing a little part of your brain now to say in your home now, 
is somewhere where I can do my exercise. It, it happened to me. Like when I've been home, I, when I wanted to exercise, I a hundred percent would leave. I'd either, right. um, you know, there's a spot in our building. I'd go downstairs in a spot in our building or to go to the park near our house and I'd work out cause I needed to leave my, my house and get it out of that environment. Cause my home is where my family is, is where I do, you know, maybe emails. I might do winding down stuff, but now it's become the, where I work out too. So, um, that has changed how I feel about workout. Definitely more responsible about doing it. So I think that's the good part where we're going to achieve what we wanted to do, which is get that patient to manage their own care and have them a little bit more responsible for it versus them coming into the clinic and be like, eh, tell me what to do today. Is it the same thing? Or do I have some surprise that you've planned for me? You know what I mean? <laughs> versus them cognitively thinking about it, which is nothing wrong with it. Like I do the same thing if I were to go, you know, do jujitsu, for instance, I'm like, what are we going to do today? But I know if I practice jujitsu on my own and I create my own plan of what I need to work on now, when I go back to class, it's way different. You know, so I, th I think it's the same thing where at home we have to do more or the patient has to do more on their own versus when they come into the clinic. Yeah, I think to, to build on that, you, you make a really good point of people associate exercise with their physical therapy appointment in the clinic. And now with the telehealth session, they're, you know, whether they, they like, as you said, they're forced to do their exercise at home and now they're being guided within their own home. So when the telehealth, excuse me, when the telehealth session is over, the patient could actually uh, associate, well, when I was, you know, when I had a session with Lee and I was right in this position, I was right in my living room. So there's, there's not this disconnect between the clinic and home. Right. Um, it's just becoming one big, one big living space yeah, um, right. or one small living space where everything gets done. But that's a really great point that, you know, now with telehealth, is patients could actually see the work done in their home, that it's a possibility to get it done in their homes. Yeah. Um, you know, again, by necessity, but pretty cool to see how that plays out. And I think in addition with, with this, like, for instance, you know, we're on Zoom right now, we're recording, you can give the, the patient, you know, sort of think about uh, technology, right? The the aspect of all these uh, platforms that people are using. It could be FaceTime, it can be Skype, Google Hangout, Zoom. Zoom is one of the ones that I know of that you can record directly. The patient can save it and then they can go back. So as long as they know that it's being recorded, that's legal and they're aware, they can save it on their computer. Then they can just rewatch when you instruct them on the exercise. I think that changes too because um, it's, it, it's super important to have that feedback. Then they can look back and watch us instruct them on the exercises. And I feel like that's made, that's a whole game changer with that in terms of, you know, in the clinic normally would have to, if we wanted to do that, we'd record them using their phone exactly. or um, send them a video that doesn't always work. Cause sometimes the video that we might send them is not exactly what we did with them, but if exactly. they hear our voice, they see themselves, stuff like that. That's super important. Yeah. I think that the recording function, I mean, as you just mentioned, one of my little, tools that I've used for years is, is recording patients um, and with my voiceover, obviously, and giving them the, the prescription of the exercise, uh, so I think has been very helpful um, relative to, you know, the old school way that I used to do, was, was, which is written out exercises. Um, 
This way, all of those learning styles are addressed in one smooth move with the video. You know, yes. you can't, aside from you, you know, touching them through the video, uh, <laughs> everything else, you know, should work. But yes. this, um, I definitely see, I mean, as many industries uh, will be changing, uh, for sure, physical therapy, I, I do believe, will be changing. I was going to say radically, but who knows? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and make predictions because as, as Luke was saying in our last podcast, you know, stuff we're saying today, you know, maybe by four o'clock is obsolete. It's true. It might be totally different. You know, they might come out with some sort of new executive order or something, but we have no idea. And then we, we don't know what the, you know, they're claiming the, the second wave or when flu season hits this year, which is like December or November. We don't know what that's going to look like. I can't even say whether it's going to be good or bad. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it's already changing in the sense where, um, for instance, Noi, I, I just got a notification today from um, Noise that, that Luke is actually doing the, their first online class in the U.S. Um, May 29th and 30th, I think. Wow. Um, which I'd love to sit on. Oh. I, want, I want to see the details of that. But um yeah, so I mean that for instance, they most we mentioned in the last podcast, like Niamp I know is indefinitely not doing in person because that's such like a very close contact course. There's usually like thirty to fifty people in the course, all manual techniques. Um, and then they're probably gonna do some iteration of online. But if you remember taking the Niamp courses, there's always 10 hours of online stuff you have to do. It was. They were they yeah, they've always in- well, since I've known them, they've always incorporated tech, you know, the latest in technology. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, like you just said, there was a, a lot of um, online stuff that there was a requirement. Uh, but I, I do see a lot. I mean, you see a lot of online. I mean, I, IPA, I still get emails from IPA and I am. But all of these continuing ed courses are going up. Diane Lee, Linda Joy mm-hmm. Lee, uh, they're doing online stuff. I mean, they have no choice, right? Um, yeah. But there'll be a lot more of that. I mean, look what you're doing with with Turo. And yeah, and Spina, uh, FRC, they're all doing online, uh, which is nuts because that, again, that's a huge in-person one. Yeah, and I think, you know, to be fair, as we're we're talking about the positives of telehealth, there are going to be, there are limitations, you know, and and there is um, a level you know, we've discussed this on previous podcasts of this, this presence in the office in terms of uh, calming a patient, uh, listening to a patient. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, just feeling a patient, literally feeling a patient, you know, that certain people that come to our door have never, you know, have never gotten this area addressed. So there's going to be a, a lot of, there is some limitation as into um, this person, a person, me per- personally, I definitely prefer a person-to-person appointment, but I do see in a current event, uh, current state of affairs here, uh, the necessity for telehealth, mm-hmm. as well as the positive, the, the down the road, you know, just really utilizing it to leverage your time. Yeah, no, I, I get that in person. If we remember contextual factor factors, that's huge. That I mean, some research shows that's the majority of what effect has on the patient that that therapeutic ritual you come in shake their hands you have body language you have a tone and you um you address their condition in a very empathetic 
an intelligent way. You have them talk it out in front of you, talk it out how they talk it out however they want. They may use body language. They may sit or stand. I feel like that's a huge part of them getting that out and that's missing now. So they're just going to sit in front of a screen, which there's articles on it right now coming at New York times about how it's so terrible for your eyes. You know, this constant focusing in on little boxes um, is, yeah. And, and it's a 2d world, you know, you, you don't have that 3d anymore that, that messes with our psyche. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about my daughter, you know, how many FaceTime I'm sure with you too, is like all these oh, yeah. FaceTime calls with relatives and she's getting used to it. She's like grabbing for the phone and the camera and she smiles when she sees it, which is fine. But what is that having, what effect is, is that having on her brain right now? And it's developing. So obviously we don't want this to last too long. I agree with you. I prefer in-person visits. And I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a person who um, wants to, you know, make contact with them and also feel their, and not, not literally feel it, but just experience the person's energy and, and how either, um, you know, happy, sad, or anxious they might be, and then uh, be able to give them a better picture of what we can do for them. And then uh, maybe follow up like this, but this is, this is something that is going to have to be addressed in our field for sure going forward. Yeah, it's interesting. During Cuomo's, um, Cuomo's briefings on a daily basis, telemedicine is almost in a, on, on a daily basis. He brings those up. Mm-hmm. Uh, telemedicine, telemedicine. So it's, um, we, we, had a, we had a little exposure to it years back um, without getting into specifics uh, with the thought of telehealth. And um, little did we know that this particular guy was, uh, he was onto something. So, oh yeah, that's right. With, uh, yep, yep. Um, in a previous podcast. Yeah. yeah. Previous podcast with no previous employer. Uh, oh. that telehealth oh, situation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's right. Jesus. Yeah, so I, my brain blocked that out. <laughs> no, of course. Of course. Um, but to be fair, you know, it's here. It's yeah, here. Sure. It's here. You know, I think, um, Oh, happy to record this podcast. Oh, what mm-hmm. we man, would you like any um parting comments to this uh Yeah, I mean I we I, I think it would be a good habit and I, you do this already. I, I think we both try to do it, but let's end each one of these on a very positive note. Um, you know, both of us it really, on my end, uh I'm happy to be home with my family. I'm happy to be healthy, I'm happy my family's healthy and safe. Um, and I'm fortunate to have incredible people around me, friends, family, loved ones. And I want to shout out to all the, my friends and family who are on the front lines, nurses and doctors right now who are risking their lives. And I think they're doing incredible work. And as a healthcare professional, I'm proud to say that, you know, I know them and I'm, I'm, you know, really rooting for them. And I, and I really hope they come out of this thing on top and I, and I'm sure they will. So, um, on a positive note, I, I think some good things will come of this. Yes. To build on more good, same, same concept. Uh, very fortunate and blessed to one, have my health family and the support that I have. Uh, also looking to the future. Uh, although we're all going through some tough times, typically when all of us go through some tough times, you know, things are improved. At least historically, that's what goes down, right? That there is this turmoil. And then afterwards, uh, things get a little, uh, quote, better. But I do think that in all of this, uh, as a field, a physical therapy profession as a whole, there's going to be a huge opportunity because there's going to be a huge need 
the people to, to move to address their concerns. Many of those may be musculoskeletal, as Lee mentioned earlier. There may be some trauma, but for sure, there's going to be an opportunity for us to show our skills and, and more importantly, just to help help society on a whole. So I do believe, uh, although our profession may be changing at a rapid pace, uh, the need and necessity is going to be there. So on a, on, a, on a positive note to all those listening, hang in there. You know, this till shall pass and uh, brighter days are ahead. Absolutely. As always, thank everybody for listening and tune again when we have our returning guests as we're going to come back in a whole line of new guests. Yes. Stay tuned. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 